What a sweet spirit this morning so far. What an awesome time of worship. As I sat there worshiping, you can just feel the spirit. And I'm a little overwhelmed right at the moment to be able to come and bring the word at such a time as this. So as I gather myself and relax a little bit, this past week has been one of great reflection for me. We've had so many workers come and work their tails off at Vacation Bible School all week long. Uh, I'm not sure what the final numbers were for averages of kids or adults or anything else uh, that we had throughout the week, but I know that a lot of people put a lot of effort into making sure that it was what it was, and that effort paid off as we saw two students come to, or two children come to know the Lord as Savior. And that's worth celebrating. That's worth being excited about. One thing that I noticed during vacation Bible school was I was sitting in here uh, trying to help Mr. Neal with rec. Uh, I'm, uh, uh, I'm around doing other things as well. Um, you can just see the light in the kids' eyes. You just see that they were learning something. They were filled with wonder of who Christ really is. Because that's exactly what they were being taught. So several months ago, I had to write a paper for, for my hermeneutics class. And it was on, I chose to do Colossians 1, not knowing that the Vacation Bible School theme was going to be Colossians 1. Uh, not knowing that last week Brother Matt was going to touch on Colossians 1. And not knowing at the time that this week I was going to have the opportunity to follow up Vacation Bible School in such a powerful week by preaching a message out of Colossians chapter 1. See, as these kids went throughout the week and learned about who Jesus was, they were also taught the gospel and how to present it, whether they recognized that they were taught the gospel and how to present it or not. They were taught that the relationship began when God created, when Jesus created. They were taught that the relationship was broken by man. They were taught that their relationship would be restored and that it was restored through Jesus. And they were taught that the relationship continues today. So children, if you're here and you went to VBS, remember those things. Adults that taught VBS, the next time you're sitting somewhere with someone who you know is not a believer, remember those things because you were just given a manual to present the gospel right off the bat. But so backtracking as I was watching these kids I reflected on my time as a kid at vacation Bible school and how awesome and great I knew God to be when was the last time that we looked at Jesus with that same wonder when was the last time we paused looked up at the stars or looked up at the mountains or looked out at the ocean or wherever you may see God's creativity most and thought, wow, Jesus is big. Jesus is awesome. Jesus is mighty. That's where I was this week. I was very convicted because through the hustle and bustle of life, it's very easy to get taken back and not see Christ in in the magnitude that we should see him. As I was preparing for this morning, I I came across an article uh, in the last week And it kind of caught me off guard 
because the author was writing about, well, what if I'm not saved and not miserable? Because so often when we hear people present their testimony, we hear how they went through this in life, they went through this in life, they went through that in life, they were broken and at their lowest, and then they found Jesus. But do the people who are lost that haven't gotten to that rock-hard bottom yet, do they not need Jesus the same? Should we not make it an emphasis to reach them before they hit that rock bottom? See, these children, they didn't need to. These children this past week that we had, they were satisfied with who Jesus is. They were satisfied with the greatness and vastness of Christ and who he is and what he came and did for them. So that should be our message. May we not wait. Now, that being said, let me backtrack a little bit. When we we see somebody at rock bottom, by all means, go pick them up. Let's establish that. But when we have friends who are lost and live in life and think they're living the dream, may we present them what the true best case scenario in life can be. That being Jesus. See, these kids, like I said, didn't need some huge life-altering thing to happen besides being told who Jesus was. Besides being presented the gospel. And because we had members of our church, servants of the Lord, present that gospel faithfully, the Lord provided the harvest. Where two children gave their lives to Jesus. So today, what I wanted to do was for us to take a step back and dive into the word and remind us all of who Jesus truly is, of who he really is, and that he is enough, that we don't need life circumstances to change sharply to make us lean on him. While the Lord uses those to help us lean on him, we shouldn't need those things. We should just need Jesus. So if you will, please open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 13. And as you're turning there, I'm going to set the stage for you as to what's kind of going on here. So Paul, in the first few verses of Colossians chapter 1, issues his standard greeting. um, Grace, peace to you, um, all that. And then as he moves in, he he starts talking about how he's going, he's praying that the people at Colossae, the people at the church of Colossae, have spiritual wisdom. Spiritual wisdom. Now, why might they need spiritual wisdom? Because at this time... Uh, people who probably most closely identified as Gnostics okay, were coming into the church, trying to penetrate the church, trying to bring down uh, Christianity or at least diminish some of who they believed Jesus to be. Whether that was by saying that Jesus wasn't all they needed for salvation, whether that was saying that Jesus wasn't God, that he was just a really cool dude. But so Paul writes... To set the record straight, he, he writes in this section of Colossians, and really most of the book about Colossians is all written to show the church exactly who Jesus is and that he is enough. So may we be reminded as we read and as we dive into this that Jesus is enough. We're going to look at four ways that this passage identifies Christ to us and how those things apply to us as we walk with the Lord faithfully. 
Colossians 1 verse 13, For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in heaven, both the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. This passage starts with the word for. Instantly letting us know that it's referencing something prior. So if we go back and look at verses 9 and 12 just briefly. Verses 9 through 12 just briefly, I'm sorry. Um, We see that this He that we're talking about in verse 13 is God the Father. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. You could probably also infer that by looking at verse 14. The Son didn't transfer Himself. He didn't talk in the third person like that. uh, Or Paul didn't write it that way. But so, verse 13, we, verses 13 and 14, we see Christ as Savior. Right off the bat, Christ as Savior. We see the word rescued in verse 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what two actions do we see God do in those two verses? That's an open question. Rescued and transferred. Okay, might say your translation might say delivered. We see that God rescues and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son. And in that Son, this is where we start talking about Jesus. In that Son, we find forgiveness of sins, we find redemption. Like I mentioned a second ago, where it says transferred, we see that he rescued us from the domain of darkness. So he rescued us from sin. He rescued us from the powers of this world. He rescues us from everything that separates us from himself. How great is it that we serve a God, that we love a God, who knows what our weakness is, who knows what our problem is, and he gave us a way to get away from that. He didn't just like say, oh, hey, by the way, here you go. No, but he actively came and delivered us from it. He actively came to be a part of our lives so that we didn't have to try and face this world alone. He rescued us from that domain. Then he transferred us or delivered us. We see God as deliverer throughout Scripture. Can somebody tell me a a time in Scripture where where you see God as a deliverer? Say that again, Mr. Neal. The Red Sea. Prime example. Getting the Israelites out of Egypt. God delivered the Israelites from a bunch of jank. A bunch of stuff happened. 
their fault that it happened. Their choices led to those things happening. And he still delivered them from it. We see it with Lot. As he delivered Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. We see this deliverance right here in Colossians is different. For the deliverance for the Israelites, they had to do something. They had to do something to earn it. They had to do something, whether it was sacrificing a lamb, going through the rituals, all of that. They had to do something. But see, here in Colossians, the only thing that we have to do is have faith in the Son. God had a plan and he set it into motion. And the only thing we have to do to execute that plan is to follow Jesus. The same Jesus that gave himself for us. See, we look at verse 14 specifically in this passage and a lot of scholars and people who have written different exegeses and all, the, all those cool word books um, have argued that this is the hinge point of this entire passage. Because without understanding that Christ is where we have redemption and forgiveness, without understanding that Christ is our Savior, the rest of this passage can't fully be understood in what it says and what it is and what it describes. So that's why we start with Christ as Savior. Because without understanding who Jesus is in that role, we can't understand all the other things he does for us. Christ came and gave himself freely so that we could have a relationship with him. As we go through, we're going to see the word reconcile. Okay, if I were to read further into this passage, we would see how we're hostile in nature, completely warring against God in everything that we do. We're alienated from him. We're separated from him completely because of who we are as sinners. But because Christ loves us, he came and died for us. So that we could have life with him. We are reconciled. We are brought back together with Jesus by the cross. And because of that, we're able to have a relationship with him. Because of that, we're able to understand him as creator. We're able to understand him as sustainer. We're able to understand him as redeemer, which I just gave away all the rest of my points. But it's okay. I'm going to say him again in a minute. Today, I'm going to pause briefly here. Today. If you don't know Christ as Savior, let today be the day that you know that down. Let today be the day that you come and ask that question that you've always been scared to ask. Because I promise you that without understanding, without having that relationship with Jesus, you can't walk with Jesus. Life can't be satisfying. Life can't be fulfilling if you don't have the one who sustains it. So we're going to pause here now. I'm going to read a little. I kind of combined it couple quotes from two different people, Otto Piper and John Bayer, and they say uh, that the only way to appreciate verses 15 through 20 is by having this understanding of Christ as Savior, and that we must allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the fullness of Christ. So right here, I'm going to pause and we're going to pray together as a body that the Holy Spirit would do just that this morning. As we look into the text further, that we will see Christ as who he reveals himself to be. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we know you are here. Lord, we know that you are here as we are gathered here in your name, Lord, seeking your face. And God, as we 
continue to read your word, Lord. We, we pray that, that whoever needs to hear it will hear it, not just with their ears and their brain going through everything of human comprehension, Lord, but that our souls will receive your message, that we may fully hear from you, Lord, that your word will change our lives. God, thank you for your word. That's here your name we pray. Amen. So we see Christ as Savior. Verses 15 and 16, which was the key verse for Vacation Bible School this past week, illuminates Christ as Creator. Christ as Savior. Christ as Creator. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. The image of the invisible God. Do invisible things have an image? Kind of locked you up there like I threw you a change up on the inside of the plate or something. Do invisible things have an image? Can you see something that is invisible? No. Okay, but the word right here says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So is that saying that he's just this figment of God, this little piece that God chose to use to just like kind of make himself known a little bit? Like we can kind of talk about him. We, if we say the name Jesus, we understand what he's saying. Is that, is that who Jesus is? No. Jesus is fully God in man form. He is fully God revealed to man in flesh. He is fully God that man can lay eyes on. Just like we mentioned when we were talking about the context of the scripture and setting the stage up for why Paul was writing this. See, these Gnostics, they didn't, they didn't believe that Jesus was fully God. They didn't believe that he uh, was God incarnate, that he was everything that God was just in flesh. But Paul's establishing right here firmly, and we as Christians should establish firmly, Jesus is God. Completely God. We see that he's the firstborn of all creation. Now he's not saying that he's the first creation. That's a big difference. He's not the first creation. He's the firstborn of all creation. See, if Jesus was created, then this would create a problem. I'm not going to step on my own toes later because I've got to get there. But he's sovereign over all creation. We see the Greek word prototokos here. Okay, I know I can't just magically read Greek. I had to look it up. But what this word could mean, there were a couple different things, but the one that's biblically sound, the one that's biblically verified, is sovereign. He is over all creation. Okay, and we see throughout Scripture how Christ was involved in creation. Okay, you can look at John 1 and see how the Word was the creator of all things, and that Word became flesh, so that's how we can identify that that Word was Jesus, right? Thank you. See, if Jesus had been a creation, the rest of this passage would collapse on itself right off the bat. 
Just, just briefly look at verse 17 with me. He is before all things. Okay, right there. If Jesus was a creation, could he be before all things? No. Not at all. If Jesus is before all things, then that means that nothing could have been before him to create him. So right there, if we don't believe that Jesus is before all things, if we don't believe that Jesus is above all creation, if we don't believe that Jesus had a hand in all of it, then we believe the word is false. And if we believe the word is false, then why are we here? So as Christians, it's imperative that we understand that Christ was before all and had a hand in creating all, as that's what the word tells us. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. One of my favorite passages to, to see this, for by him all things were created, is Genesis 1.26. Okay, and it was very cleverly, uh, or very, I don't want to say cleverly, very intentionally written. Because it says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Okay, God doesn't have multiple personality disorder. Okay, but that shows the Trinity status of God. That shows where we get God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay, we can see remnants of that in that passage. We can see it in John 1, 3, as we talked about earlier, where the words identified as creator. We also see in verse 16, where he says, for by him all things were created. He doesn't, Paul doesn't leave us there. He doesn't just say, for by, things all, for by him all things were created. He gives us exactly what all things means. He defines all things. He lays it out for us, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So what things were created by Jesus? Did he leave anything out? I don't think he left anything out. Like, look at it for just a second, for real. Look at it for just a second and think of anything that Paul didn't lay out right here that Christ, that Christ had a hand in. Or did he, he pretty much covered everything that was created, right? So through looking at just these two verses, we can establish and see Christ fully as creator. We keep going in the passage and see in verse 17 Christ as the sustainer. Christ as the sustainer. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. So we've talked about how he's before all things. We've talked about why that's so important that he is before all things. And we also see his sustaining character and how he holds everything together. Now we can talk a little bit more about, uh, about Christ's eternality and his being before all. A couple ways that I've heard it put. So we, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? Right. Awesome. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay. Do we believe that uh, all persons of the Trinity are God? Yes. All one God? Okay. 
Good. Well, let me see. John Floyd, when did you become a father? Okay, so at 29 or almost 30, but what happened to make you a father? Just like the end result. He had a child. He had a child. So if we believe that God the Father is eternal, wow, I really didn't see that going that way. He had a child. For God the Father to be God the Father eternal, does that mean that God the Son also has to be eternal? For God the Father to be the Father eternally, then probably had to have a son. You following that logic, that line of thinking? Wow, it's really quiet. I don't like quiet, friends. I can do what, the, what I do with the youth where I just sit there and stop talking. And they laugh because they know I do it. So, yeah, we, somebody could argue, okay, well, maybe not. You know, you're applying human principles and ideas to God and God's outside of time and all that. Okay, we can do that. But then let's look at it this way. God is unchanging. Will we be willing to agree that scripture says that God is unchanging? Okay, we can see that in Hebrews. We can see that in Malachi. Uh, we can see that throughout scripture. Okay, but if Christ was not eternal, if he was not before all things, if he was not before all things, then that means that God changed his mind about what was going to happen. It means that God changed his plan of redemption for us. See, we believe that God's un- unchanging. We believe that God knows all, that he's omniscient, that he knew everything from the time he spoke the world into existence. So if God is unchanging, then Christ is eternal based on scripture solely. And that's imperative that we believe, and it's imperative that we don't bend on this issue. That Christ is eternal forever. And that he was always fully God, and he was always part of the plan and that he is always exactly who he is and who the word tells us that he is so we move forward in verse 17 he's before all things and in him all things hold together seeing Christ as sustainer here he holds all things together I'm trying to remember who said it, but I think his name was Pepler. He was an author. He said that Christ is the common bond among all creation. What a powerful statement to make because it's true. Who created all things? Well, if we believe that the word is true, then we believe that Christ created all things. So if Christ created all things, what do all things have in common? Christ as creator of them all. Look at Scripture. Scripture is the Word of God. Scripture is a creation of God. He gave it to us so that we could know Him. Well, what holds all of Scripture together? Christ. From Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation, the entire thing points to Jesus. From beginning to end, cover to cover, even the maps point to God's redemptive work in our lives for us, for how he gave himself for us. 
He sustains all things. Look at, look at Paul in the book of Philippians. Okay, I'm not going to get all Tim Tebow on you with Philippians 4.13. But specifically looking at that, what is, what is Paul saying right there? Well, he's saying that he's learned to be content in everything because Christ has sustained him. How did the Israelites make it through wandering in the desert for 40 years? Christ sustained them. He gave them manna. He gave them guidance, a torch by night so that they could see where they were going, the path to follow. Christ sustains you today. We sing a song sometimes where it says, it's your breath in our lungs. Is, I love that song. It's a great song to sing, but think about the words specifically. It is your breath in our lungs. People say, oh, when it's your time, it's your time to go. Well, you're right, but it's not when it's my time. It's when it's God's time for me to go. It's when it's God's time to no longer continue to give me that breath. How has the Lord sustained you? How is the Lord currently sustaining you? For different people, you go through different seasons of life. We see different things happen, uh, whether there's great things like uh, weddings and the birth of a child or hardships like the loss of a family member, uh, divorce, uh, any of those things. But Christ promises that he's there. He sustains. And we've already seen Paul define all things in this passage earlier. So where he says in verse 17, and in him all things hold together. Can we have faith in Christ and in who he is that he will hold you together? That he will hold this, that he will hold us together as we pursue him. That no matter what this world may give us, Christ is there and Christ is going to provide. Can we trust that? That's where you say, yes, we can trust that. Christ gave all so that we may have life with him. How does he ultimately end game sustain us? He reconciles us back to the Father. He reconciles us back to the Father who it was in his perfect plan to transfer us into the kingdom of the beloved Son. How does he ultimately sustain us no matter what this life gives us? He gives us life eternal. He gives us a way to know him intimately so that we may walk with him, so that our lives may not be purposeless, but they may be purposeful. That we may not be like that lukewarm water that he spits from his mouth, but that we may walk faithfully with him, showing others exactly who he is. That we may show others the wonder of who Jesus is. That those children that came and ran all over our church the last week had when they left Thursday night. He sustains us. What about in those seasons where you have a hard time seeing God? Well, He's there. And if you'll cry out to Him, He'll sustain you even in those seasons as well because He loves you. The only way that we can have a relationship with the Father, the only way that we can be reconciled, the only way that we can have life eternal is because of the fact that Jesus had victory on the cross. 
because of the fact that Jesus will sustain that relationship through our brokenness and our sin. I'm so thankful for the sustaining nature of Christ. We see Christ as Redeemer in verses 18 through 20. He is also the head of the body, the church. And He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for the fullness of To dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. We see Christ as the head of the church, sovereign over what we do here, sovereign over our role in serving Him. So, you church member, You profess believer. How are you letting God be sovereign over your life individually? And how are you letting him being sovereign over your life dictate how you serve the church? Notice how I said that. How he leading your life and being sovereign over you enables you to serve the church. Yesterday... My bet, one of my best friends got married, old J.D. Some of y'all remember J.D. J.D. was our college ministry intern for a few months last year. But he got married, and how he got, uh, the girl that he got is strictly the grace of Jesus. Okay? J.D., watch this tomorrow. But see, in that... And getting to, to, to go to weddings. I used to hate going to weddings. Then I got married and started loving going to weddings. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, I get to think back to our wedding day and it was great and awesome. But then also, because of the picture that it paints of Christ's love for us. See, I, I guess before I experienced a wedding on the side of the wedding that I was on on my wedding day, I had never sat down and thought about it. I had never sat down and thought about the magnitude of what that actually was and what was actually being symbolized there. So we hear people say, well, you know, I hope you, I pray that you love your wife as Christ loves the church. Think about that statement. Christ laid his life down for the church. Getting to see J.D. and Hannah commit to that life together to where they were committing to serve one another, to love one another forever was, was absolutely awesome. But knowing that we get to have that relationship with Jesus every single day of our lives because he laid his life down for us is beyond compare. It's so much more. We are his bride that he bought with a price. How can we serve him in that? My favorite part of this passage, or these, this last little section here, is found. Well, I would say the verse number, but now I'm missing it. For it was the Father's okay, verse nineteen. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. Most of my youth know that I love the word dwell. The word dwell means to make your home in. Literally, to pitch your tent in. The fullness of God the Father, the fullness of everything about who He is. 
dwelled within the Son and was pleased. This again shows the fullness, the full deity of Christ and who he is. You see, why is that so important? Because if Christ wasn't fully God, then we have no redemption. If Christ wasn't fully God, then he wasn't enough to satisfy God's standard for for reconciliation. But because we know that Jesus was fully God, we know that the Father's good, that the Father, uh, the Father's fullness dwelled completely within Him. We know that He truly was perfect. We know that He truly was over all. We know that He truly is Creator of all. We know that He is truly the Sustainer of all because He is God. He is Lord. He's Redeemer. Going all the way back to verses 13 and 14, or really 14, his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It was always God's plan. It was always the plan for Jesus to bring us reconciliation. It was always in the plan for the cross. It was always in the plan for us to be able to have life with him. And that plan was always Jesus. It was always the plan for Jesus to create all things. It was always the plan for him to place every star where we see it, every mountain, the exact height that it is, and every ocean's tide, the way that it flows. It was all him. It was always his plan Knowing that we couldn't sustain ourselves to give us a way to be sustained. And that way to be sustained being Jesus, it was always in his plan to bring us back to himself. Church, take yourself to that place today. Where you see Christ most. Think about the last time that you looked at Christ with the awe and wonder that just this passage has described him as. How much hope we have in this life knowing that Christ will sustain all things. How much joy we can have in life knowing that every creation, every breath, every single thing that we have on this earth is given by the Lord. How much joy and hope we can live with in knowing that he made a way for us to be redeemed. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, I've been praying for you. I've been praying that today would be the day that you nail it down. Not so that when Brother Matt gets back, I can be like, hey, this person came to know the Lord when I preached that day. Because trust me, I know that that is not the reason. (laughs) But so that someone else who didn't know Jesus, who was going to die and go to hell, is not going to die and go to hell, but that they're going to go and have eternal life with Christ. In case you can't tell, I start talking fast because it gets me excited to know that Life eternal is in the grasp of someone new. Not because of anything we've done. Because God doesn't require anything of us to do besides to trust and hope and have faith in his son. As they come and play and bring a song. If you're here today and don't know Jesus, 
Grab somebody around you. Come talk to me. But let's talk about that. Let's nail that down today. If you do have Jesus, maybe, maybe we all just need to come to the altar today. Maybe we all just need to get on our faces before the Lord and remember the wonder that we had of Him that first time He drew us to Himself. That first time that we recognized that He really gave all so that we could have life with Him. So that fire can be rekindled so that we may go out into this community and see life change. Not so that the name of Esau can be made great, which don't get me wrong, I would love there to be a Sunday where every single seat in this room is full and we have to pull more out. But so that the Lord can be glorified. We see in the book of Acts, chapter 2, talking about the early church. Gives me goosebumps to think about. As they lived faithfully to the call of Christ, more were added to their number daily. Those who were being saved. Church, let that be us. Not by our work, but our trust in the Lord and knowing that He will sustain and provide a way that we could have life with Him and that others could have life with Him also. Let us worship Him fully with how we live our lives. Not just on Sundays when we sing songs and listen to the Word. Not just on Wednesday nights as we gather together. But as we live our lives daily and people see us out in the community and they recognize, hey, that person's car is at Eastside on Sunday mornings. They must know who Jesus is. How, how are they living their life? Think of that wonder that Christ gave you when you first gave your heart to him. How full you were in that moment. May we get back to that. May we get back to that core. That this town will be set on fire. Not literally, but by the Spirit. We all talk about, oh, we need a revival. We need a revival. We need a revival. There are thousands of lost people in Evans County who need to be awakened for the first time. So may we let this moment be the time where we decided to wake up as followers of Jesus Christ and storm the gates of Evans County to win souls for Jesus.